I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And I'll be reading verses 7 down to verse number 10. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, for your tender mercies, and your love towards us. Dear Lord, we are so grateful for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for your plan of redemption to restore that which was lost because of sin. Dear Lord, we are so humbled by your goodness towards us. And I thank you so much for how you're working in our hearts and lives to accomplish your will and purpose. Thank you for the special music and the testimonies that have reflected your goodness. We give you all the honor and glory and praise for what you are doing. And we ask tonight as your word goes forth that you would use it in a special way to speak to hearts. Draw every man, woman, boy, and girl to yourself. And I pray that we would be receptive to what you are saying. Thank you once again for what you're doing. Give me the words you'll have me to say. Cleanse me of sin and empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus saith the Lord and will give you honor and glory you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The more you read the Bible and the more you put it into practice, the more you would observe that the Bible is true. The Bible, my friend, is the word of God. It is our blueprint, our manual for living. But I want to submit to us here tonight that it is so much more. Because in addition to being our guidebook and instructing us about what we ought to do and what we ought not to do, the Bible tells us why things are the way they are and it also tells us what is going to be in the end. When you look at the entire picture of humanity through the lens of the word of God, you recognize that the message of the Bible is a story of God's love for mankind. It also chronicles man's sin against God and man's rather and God's response God's redemptive plan to restore what was lost by sin within this restoration plan of God is a process of helping us as mankind to be more like God when you and I are saved, for those of you who are born again believers, when you are saved, God immediately sanctifies you 
positionally. In other words, when you are saved and born again, you are justified. You are declared righteous. Why? Not because of your own goodness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and putting faith and trust in him for the full pardoning of one's sins, you are now in Christ positionally and based on his righteousness, we are then declared righteous. But at the same time, we still have a sin nature. And so in, in addition to positional sanctification, there's what is called progressive sanctification. It means that through this process, God is making us more like himself. He does this through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. A person's willingness to submit to this process and to actually become more like Christ is, get this, a sign and a measure of their spirituality. This matter of spirituality is what James, in this epistle, addresses in chapter 4. Spiritually, spirituality, rather, starts with our response to the problem of sin. My friend, the biggest problem facing all of humanity is the problem of sin. James points this out in the first few verses of James chapter 4. That sin is a devastating problem. It says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? My friend, this problem of sin, it is built in. It is inherent in our nature. We were born with this sin problem. It's a reality that we face. And this reality of sin has affected and impacted our ability to have a relationship with the sovereign. But as we just heard through that song, thank God for his amazing grace. You look at verse number six. After James gives this uh, sad outlook, this devastating picture of the problem of sin, he begins verse number six. He says, with all that that I've just said, he says, but he giveth more grace. Thank God for his amazing grace. Were it not for his grace, where would we be? Grace is the divine push of God upon our life. It is what I call righteous assistance. You see, my friend, God will never enable you to do what is wrong. But he will enable and channel and push through his grace to enable us to do what is right. It's righteous assistance. It's a resource that is available says he giveth more grace. We that Paul also wrote in, in his epistle in Romans, he says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. It doesn't matter how much sin you've done. It, matter, it doesn't matter how bad you think you are. God's grace is sufficient and it's available. But God says in order to have this grace, there's a required attitude. In verse number six, he says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace 
unto the humble. Says if you're going to avail yourself of this amazing grace, it requires an attitude of humility. The divine push of God. My friend, we need God's assistance. We need the push of God in our life to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. We've observed the devastating problem. We've seen the divine push. But tonight I also want us to observe, thirdly, if you will, what I call a definite prescription. A definite prescription. Verses 7 to 10 outlines what is our responsibility. God has done his part. God has banked up heaven to enable us to have an avenue by which we can be reunited with him in relationship. He's done his part by sending his son to this earth. But we have a role to play. We must do our part. And so in these few verses, James gives us, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, our responsibility, our response to what God has done. If we're going to be more like him, if we're going to be spiritually minded, notice first of all, and jot this down, verse number seven, in the first part, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. As a result of what God has done that no one else could do, as a result, therefore, submit yourselves to God. The first aspect of this definite prescription is submission to the Savior. You see, my friend, my will must be yielded to God's will. Your will must be yielded to God's will. This is required for salvation. This is required for service. Whether you're saved or unsaved, your will must be yielded to God. And my friend, whether you decide to do it now, ultimately you will do it at some point. So you might as well do it voluntarily now because you will do it at some point in the future. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. But when it comes to this matter of spirituality, you will not Acquire spirituality without submitting to God. That's why James says, therefore. You see, because understand that as he outlined the devastating problem of sin, he was setting up a a, a mechanism for us to understand that we are indeed in a spiritual war. And in order to survive this war, we must be under the Savior's lordship. 
That's why I say to people all the time, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, understand those two words are not there by accident. You're, you're submitting and accepting him as your Savior. He saved you from sin, but he also must be the Lord of your life. Meaning he must be in charge. He must call the shots. He's allowed to tell you what to do and not just tell you what to do, but you to respond in obedience to what he says. Can you imagine being in the military and you're out there fighting to the beat of your own drum? That's a recipe for disaster. Not only for yourself, but for others. The first aspect of being spiritual is to submission to the Savior. But notice in that same verse, the second thing you and I must do in addition to being submissive to the Savior, is to stand up to Satan. Amen? Look at what he says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This phrase and this refrain, the devil made me do it. Boy, we tell a whole lot of lies on the devil, you know. First of all, the devil is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. Sometimes we elevate our level of importance to think that of all this whole world of seven plus billion, I mean, the devil found his, 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 his isolated his time to just you or me. We know he does have agents. But we give the devil far more significance than he should have. Here's something that I've observed. In looking at this admonition, it tells me some things about Satan that I want to share with you tonight. Satan is often successful because he is entertained. Now here's something that I believe about the character of Satan as I look at this verse. Satan likes comfort. He likes ease. To put it colloquially, he does not like hard life. You say, Pastor, where you get that from? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know what that tells me? That when the devil is successful in his endeavors, as I've indicated, we've entertained him where he should not have been entertained in the first place. He's invited over for lunch. He's allowed in for conversations. When he tempts, often, we respond with rationalization. He, he, he offers the temptation. We know he does that. But we kind of listen to say, oh, devil, what are you saying again now? How much are you willing to pay me if I do that? What position are you going to give me if I go along with your proposition, Satan? Devil, you know what? When I consider your proposition, you know what? It sounds 
a little easier than what God is saying, you know. And you know what Satan says? Yes, it is. He tantalizes with stuff, pleasure, fun, money, fame, positions, success, and friends. And what this verse is admonishing, admonishing us to do, don't entertain him. Resist him. And here's why I say he likes comfort. Because the minute you resist him, the Bible says he will flee. It's kind of like these dogs that come, ruff, 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 ruff. And the minute you say, ooh, you're going to run away. They got a lot of back. But no bite. Listen, Satan hangs around when we make it comfortable and convenient for him. But if he says, Satan, no, not today. I'm not the one. He runs away. If we're going to be spiritually minded, we got to stand up to Satan. Amen? But notice, thirdly, we're going to have to step towards the Savior. It says in verse number 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Should we, are we, should we be surprised at that? Remember after all, the whole part of God's redemptive plan is for us to be closer to him in the first place. So when it comes to this matter of being close to God, guess what? It's your move. It's my move. Because the minute we draw closer to him, he draw closer to us. What a blessing. Step towards the Savior. But notice, in addition, number four, if we're going to be spiritually minded, if we're going to be spiritual in our actions, in our activity, in our attitudes, there has to be sanctification in service. It says in verse number eight, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, my friend, God expects and desires us to live holy. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. But just as you and I, in desiring to drink some water, will not pour that water into a filthy glass, God wants to use clean vessels for his purpose. It doesn't mean that we are going to be perfect people. But it means that we will desire and strive to live a holy life and we will not sit in the muck and mire of sin and be content. It's a continual desire and process of living a life that's pleasing and acceptable to God so that he can use us. There must be sanctification in service. Fifthly, we must sorrow over sin. Verse number 9 says, 
be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 8 to 11 speaks of the matter of godly sorrow. That godly sorrow worketh repentance. We've looked at this recently in messages. But my friend, this matter of being broken over sin is so essential. Not being broken over the fact that we got caught, but being broken over the sin that hurt the heart of God. And as we saw this morning, the word of God, as it points out where we are, ought to touch our heart. Let me say this very clearly. That if the word of God is not impacting your heart, my friend, you're in trouble. If the word of God is not moving your heart to be closer drawn to God, my friend, that's a sign of a major problem that requires attention immediately. Brokenness over sin is what brings about change. If there's not brokenness over sin, there's no change. There has to be sorrow over sin. And then finally, there must be a servant's spirit. Verse number 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humility is a sign and a signature of a servant. You see, oftentimes we think that humility or pride, arrogance and boastfulness or lack of humility is only characterized by a show-off, which it is, a sign of a lack of humility. Someone who walks around with a show of arrogance. And, but I want us to understand very clearly on this matter of humility that a lack of humility is portrayed when I make things about myself. If you're going to demonstrate, if we're going to demonstrate humility in the work of God, in the things of God, it must be all about Him and not about us. That's the sign of a servant. That's a sign of an individual who wants to be used by God. And it ought to be the mindset of a person who is spiritual, at the end of the day, whatever it is, if the work of God is advanced, I am good. Because it's all about him and it's not about us. And that's the heart of a servant. James says, we ought to be spiritual. And that's not a sign of 
some kind of kooky mindset and as they say sometimes heavenly minded and no earthly good if you're spiritually minded you will be of good to earth because you'll have a mindset of seeing people added to the kingdom seeing people saved seeing people grow in their walk with God because that's our mission that's our purpose James addresses this matter of spirituality the source of true spirituality the reason why we have this opportunity is simply first of all because of what God did his redemptive plan we could not solve this problem of sin on our own thank God for what he did thank him for his amazing grace but in response to his grace we have some responsibilities to be closer drawn to him to be in right relationship with him. We got this sin nature we got to battle with. But he has given us a prescription and given us what we need to overcome the tricks of the devil. And let me say this in closing. Some of the tricks of the devil, man, there shouldn't even be tricks anymore. He's trying the same stuff over and over and over. We should have enough wisdom to say, Man, you're coming with that same thing. I saw you try that already. That shouldn't be causing me to fall at this point. But let's resist him. Let's be closer drawn to God. Let's live a holy life. Let's have a servant spirit. And when we sin, let's respond with godly sorrow that worketh repentance. We put that prescription into practice. We will enjoy a healthy relationship with a holy God who loves us.